Hello, and welcome to Primary Sources, a production of the Central Arkansas Library System, where we focus on people making a difference in Little Rock and Arkansas. Some you might have heard of, and some you haven't heard of, but probably want to know about. Check out cals.org slash podcasts for more Primary Sources interviews. Welcome, everyone, to our latest episode of Primary Sources, a podcast of the Central Arkansas Library System. I'm Matt DeCampbell, your host for this episode. And for this episode, we have the mayor of Little Rock, the Honorable Frank Scott Jr. Hey, Frank. Hey, Matt. How are you? I'm, I'm great. How are you? Uh, I'm doing better than I deserve. I'm extremely excited to be on this podcast with a dear friend and a brother. Uh, that I've known since 2006. We've been through a lot together, and I'm excited about it and uh, humbled uh, to be the 73rd mayor of the city of Little Rock, my hometown. Absolutely. And, yeah, we'll get into some of those years uh, that we spent together. <laughs> but and we'll get into, of course, a lot of you know what you have planned and what you've already got going. We're recording this episode in just the first few weeks of your administration. So uh, nine days. Yeah. Yeah. Nine days <laughs> in. So when people listen to it, keep that in mind. <laughs> Although I'm sure it's felt like more than nine. Already. It has. It has. <laughs> well, let's go. Uh, let's go all the way to the beginning. I mean, like you said, this is this is your town born and raised here. Uh, what was uh, what were your early years like growing up in Southwest Little Rock? So growing up, uh, as you stated, a son of the city, uh, born in Doctors Hospital, born, raised, and I still reside in Southwest Little Rock. And uh, growing up in the city, coming from where I come from, uh, it, it's some would think it was hard to believe that someone from Southwest Little Rock could become uh, the 73rd mayor of Little Rock because to some and to many maybe there's some negative connotation when it comes to Southwest Little Rock as part of being a significantly poor area of town Mm -hmm. uh, with a lack of jobs uh, and high crime rate. But I'm a living testimony uh, that there are great things uh, that come out of Southwest Little Rock that has rooted me and made me the person that I am. Uh, And so I'm just grateful to uh, not only represent the entire city as the mayor, but to be a product of Southwest Little Rock, but not only a product of Southwest Little Rock, uh, but a product of Little Rock Public School. Yeah. Uh, system. Yeah. Uh, as a uh, alum of Little Rock Parkview Arts and Science Magnet, uh, hold high the red, the white, and the blue, uh, <laughs> the best high school in the city of Little Rock. I know a lot of the, my friends that went to Little Rock Central High School, it's okay. My mother graduated from there, so I got that credibility. That's good. Yeah, yeah. You got you to gotta cover the spectrum. But I like to say, check the stats when it comes to the academic standards that goes to oh, Little Rock. Oh, boy. All right. Yeah, I shot, Throwing down gauntlets already. <laughs> fight <laughs> shots fired. <laughs> no, I'm joking. So, as, but, but, but as a little kid in, in Southwest Little Rock, you know, what was your impression of, uh, of the neighborhood you were living in from, from the inside? I mean, I co- clearly we understood that there was some uh, crime around, but I mean, we really didn't experience it during life. You know, uh, during the times of uh, gang banging in Little Rock, which is something that we're still dealing with as far as a negative perception in the city of Little Rock, we didn't see a huge difference. Or knew we just knew that you know, many times when the street lights came on, you better have your butt at home, yeah. uh, or your mother was gonna call and, and come calling <laughs> for you, and you definitely didn't want to deal with her. Right. Uh, and so, uh, our parents and what I like to call our village tried to make certain and shield us from uh, any negativity. Now, uh, as I look back over my life, you clearly understand of how modest our lives lives were and how we were able to do a lot with little, mm-hmm. and so uh, which has helped shape us. And so I'm just grateful for the village that I grew up around uh, and just understanding my family history 
uh, particularly from my mother. Growing up in Southwest Little Rock, but also I have deep roots uh, in the South End and the East End where my mother's from uh, and understanding those uh, same aspects. Yeah. So when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, I'm actually uh, one of those individuals where I never wanted to go to college. Huh? It was not uh, my intention whatsoever. Uh, it's not something that I saw uh, around me. Um, I uh, was the first person in my family to graduate from college. My younger brother followed me after that. and so. But it was never my intention. Uh, many uh, may not know, but uh, I've shared this on the campaign. My mother uh, had my sister at the age of 14 as she was heading to the ninth grade, which uh, took a toll on her. I bet. Uh, but she was able to still graduate from Little Rock Central High School. Yeah. Uh, at that time, going from uh, at the time, I believe she was at Forest Heights Middle, and uh, when she had her uh, my sister, and then moving to for- towards uh, high school to graduate. And so she was not able to go on to college and complete college and things of that nature. But it was a blessing that uh, being a former member of the uh, University of Arkansas, well, at the time, uh, Plasky Technical College Board of Directors, uh, Board of Trustees, that uh, I was able to present my mom her uh, two-year college diploma oh, nice. uh, and, uh, a couple of years ago. So that was just a, a proud moment for myself. Uh, but I never wanted to go to college, but my mother did. Uh, and so she made certain ideas. She filled out my applications. And so, well, what did you want to do if you weren't going to go to college? I didn't know. I yeah. wanted to just find a job. Uh, I, and initially, I started to think about the Air Force, uh, mainly because of my uncle on my father's side was a master chief sergeant. And so the only thing I, could, uh, I knew about at the Air Force at that period of time was that my uncle had the ability to go travel across the world. Yeah. Uh, and we didn't see him often because he lived uh, across the United States as well. And, of course, uh, giving back and, and serving our country was a part of that opportunity. But uh, that, wasn't, uh, that didn't happen. I ended up going to college, and I commend uh, the men and women that are part of the military as well as the armed forces and what they do for our country. Uh, my mother just w- wanted me to go to college, and it just didn't turn out for me to go to the Air Force. Instead, you ended up in Memphis. The University of Memphis. The University of Memphis. <laughs> Heard so much about it, but uh, what was your experience like there? I mean, it had to be one of your first times spending significant time out of the state. Well, I think many people who don't know me think that I am an extrovert, and I think you can attest to that. Uh, I know how to be an extrovert, mm-hmm. uh, but at my core, I'm an introvert. And so my, I was a shy kid and, and all throughout high school, all throughout in my early years. Uh, and it was uh, a couple things that helped me uh, gain confidence, and I'll share this, is when I took ballet for seven years uh, in junior high and high school under uh, C. Michael Titwell with the uh, Titwell Dance Arts. Uh, that helped me uh, to get out of uh, my comfort zone and gain a little bit more confidence and not be the shy uh, shy kid that I was. And quite frankly, the original reason why I got into dance was at the point in time I had saw I was pretty into uh, football and college football and actually playing football and, mm-hmm. and saw uh, some ESPN deal yeah. uh, with Kajana Carter and Rashawn Salam and right. how, yeah. they, how they utilized ballet to yeah. uh, gain agility. And so uh, because of that, and, and of course it was, you were going to be around a lot of girls. <laughs> and so, <laughs> that's, never, I, that's why I took French in high school, so I totally feel you. So, but that being said, uh, but that was that was a great thing, a pivotal point in my life because it helped me to gain some confidence. Not only that, it, it kind of helped me become a more well-rounded person as far as understanding uh, culture. So that's when I got to learn uh, not only about ballet, but modern. Uh, dance, jazz, and tap. I can throw around the names of understanding uh, Nijinsky and Isadora Duncan and things of that nature because we had to learn uh, that type of art, art culture and history uh, from that period of time. 
Uh, and so when I went off to the University of Memphis uh, against my own accord, because I did not want to go, but my mother uh, wanted me to go. She wanted me to get out of Little Rock for a period of time, but close enough that she can get to me. And so yeah, uh, University only of Memphis, two hours away. only two hours away, uh, which is still a big difference in perspective and life uh, in the city of Memphis. But I go off to college, and that's where I really came out of my shell. Uh, that's where I really got involved in a lot, a number of student activities. Uh, ultimately, I became SGA Speaker of the Senate. I was Mr. University of Memphis. I was a uh, student ambassador board president, things of that nature, where I really gained a lot of leadership uh, ability and ultimately graduated from college yeah. uh, and then came back home to become a distribution manager for Target. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of where I met you. I was at Target yeah, for a I couple remember. years. And yeah, with my friend, uh, my friend Katie Garten. Yeah, Katie time. Garten, yeah. who's doing very well. She is down in uh, Dallas. Down yeah. in Dallas. Uh, and so uh, you and I met when I, when I was moved to an overnight weekend shift to manage. And I began to be a uh, full-time volunteer for Governor Mike Beebe, mm-hmm. uh, where I uh, volunteered for him Tuesday through Friday, and then Saturday through Monday I was on, I was uh, managing a, a night shift for Target. Now, you talked about being on the SGA Senate mm-hmm. at, at Memphis. Was that your kind of your first taste of the political world, and did that kind of give you a feel that might be somewhere you want to spend time? Yes, that was my first taste of the political world, which got me involved in doing some uh, volunteering campaigning for the late uh, pioneering uh, legislator uh, Lois D. Berry, who was one of the first uh, African-American women in the Tennessee House of Representatives, uh, and had the opportunity to volunteer for her and some of her campaigns, as well as being a uh, volunteer for then-Congressman Harold Ford, Jr. Uh-huh. And so that's kind of where I, politics was in my mind, but never uh, a part of a long-term vision. I always wanted to uh, go back home and make a difference. I, I joked around in college that, you know, I want to be mayor one day, but yeah. really my main goal being someone who didn't want to go to college in the first place was to go to college so I could get a job and help take care of my family and things of that nature. And so it, it was never something that was a true, stru- truly structured dream at the point. In time, it's definitely something that crossed my mind, but was not intentional at all. Again, the intentionality was about graduating and getting the job. Right. And, and then, then I met you. I met Governor Beebe. I met Harriet Phillips. I'm, I met Lamar Davis and Nicole Hart and Micah Strother and this phenomenal team uh, that believed in Arkansas. Yeah. And uh, which was the campaign thing, uh, the, the initial campaign thing for the 2006 campaign, and. Uh, Found a new family in yeah. the in the uh, what we call now the BB uh, alumni that helped shape me and and then going into the uh, Governor BB's administration. So you come into the administration and you're this 24 year old kid that 22. I mean, 22 22 22 Oh, that's right. Gosh, I can, 22. I can still math. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 22. And yeah, I mean you're working for for Mike BB. You're working for Moral Harriman. You're working for Lamar Davis. And getting dropped in the middle and of Catherine Hazel and Catherine, <laughs> good old Catherine. But I mean, talk about a baptism by fire. What what was it like just going from, you know, volunteer to being in the middle of state government? It was the best experience of my life. And yes, it was baptism by fire because I knew nothing about state government. Uh, as you know, I was put in place in the policy department yeah. and had nothing to do with policy. And I think it was uh, done strategically because I had some time in the outside world uh, in business. Not that I was any stretch of imagination a business executive uh, at that point in time, but I had some other experiences uh, about the people of Arkansas, I believe. 
And so uh, I started as a policy advisor, and I had uh, some great resources and in, in, in a team where uh, then Catherine Hazlett was the director, and uh, Emily Jordan Cox was the deputy director. And that's where I really truly understood the process of policy and how policy was made and how uh, it was put into action through the legislature and implemented through the agencies and learned so much. I mean, it was the best experience of my life working for Governor Beebe. And and what what part of that do you think helped educate or, or fill in for you? I mean, be, being in the middle of that all and, and seeing how state, seeing how the sausage is made, basically, mm-hmm. on, on, in, in state government, what, what, what piece of that do you think kind of helped educate you the best for where you are now? Well, being a part of the Governor Beebe's budget team mm-hmm. and truly understand, uh, as he used to say, rule number one, follow the money. Mm-hmm. Rule number two, follow the money. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so understanding the budgeting process and how state government works uh, really gives me a frame of context in mind uh, for now being the next mayor. Yes, city government and, and state government are two to- totally different animals, but uh, having that working knowledge of how things work from a governmental perspective and understanding how to cut red tape within bureaucracy, as we both did, mm-hmm. uh, and changing a lot of things. And so uh, as the current mayor, we're going to be changing a lot of things at City of Little, City of Little Rock government. And I think it was definitely a, a providential journey by working with Governor Beebe to be prepared to be the current mayor and chief executive officer of our city. And even though I got to think, even though you were in policy and not in the in the liaison side of the office, uh, you still had to deal a lot with local and county, uh, city and county officials on or at least policies that, that impacted them. But, yes, but not only those policies. Uh, uh, yes, we had to because we had to deal, uh, as you know, to understand the, the working knowledge uh, uh, from the campaign. You campaign, then you go to the governing process. What we call was we had a campaign promises book. And so we wanted to make certain that those campaign promises then develop into policy memos. Uh, where we had to know the ins and outs of that policy because when we had to go explain what we wanted to do to Governor Beebe and more, and what we call chief, if I reference anymore, Moral Harriman is chief and will always be my chief. Uh, <laughs> and so we had to always prepare those memos and know this, understand the ins and outs because guess what? We knew they knew the ins and outs and they would sometimes ask us questions that they already knew the answer to oh, just to see if we were going to say, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, got my, I was on the end of a lot of those as well. Oh. Yeah, that, that was not just you. That was not just the youngest one. That was uh, oh. definitely definitely some others. Well, and then, you know, as much as state government is a, obviously a very political situation, then you end up on the Highway Commission and a whole new set of politics that yes, come into play. a whole set and of And what did you learn from that experience? What I learned from that experience was really, again, it goes back to budgeting. We had to deal with the highway budget of uh, some $3 billion and understanding true infrastructure and how infrastructure plays a role in economic development. Uh, but then also uh, representing the entire state as uh, Governor Beebe's at-large member of the Highway Commission, right. uh, where I had to understand how uh, regionality affects economic development, how infrastructure affects economic development, but also understand the concerns versus rural and urban uh, as we move forward. And and dealing with um, uh, the necessities uh, of of any city and region, but even you know dealing with the uh, controversial thirty crossing project. Oh, I was yeah. from Little Rock, but I was at large member, and so I had to consider things from a state perspective and how uh, that project. Uh, was not a Little Rock or North Little Rock project, but it was a Central Arkansas project affected by a half-cent sales tax was passed by the people to fix infrastructure in our state. 
and to navigate those waters during that period of time. And so uh, because of Governor Beebe, I've had a, a very diverse set of experiences, starting as his policy advisor, ultimately become his deputy director of policy, and then uh, to become his director of intergovernmental affairs, where I had to interface with members of Congress, different gubernatorial associations, and understanding those processes of dealing with business uh, and industry who wanted to interface uh, with state government and to make certain it was good government, uh, if anything, that was implemented, ultimately then to uh, work with the Highway Commission. And then you took the governor's advice and followed the money into the banking business. <laughs> I uh, did. I had to pay for that kid. I had to pay for all my student loan debt. I got. <laughs> no, I understand. So, so, but Still then have. you had after all those years of you know of government budgets and understanding that you you got a taste of it from the the private sector side. Yes, I joined uh, First Security Bank that is owned by the Rutledge family and really learned a lot uh, more so about business. Then I thought I already knew working for uh, Target Corporation, an MBA from UA Little Rock. Uh, I really got a, a great experience of seven years of dealing with uh, a diverse set of businesses and industries for one of the state's largest banking institutions. And so uh, understanding uh, what EBITDA means, and, and but truly making certain that it, it comes to life and not just what I learned in a book at UA Little Rock. Uh, but not only is that, but just true profit and loss scenarios as we move forward. So it was a, a great experience that I took with me as we move forward that I'm taking with me now into City Hall. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about City Hall. Obviously, there's been a lot of attention given, and rightfully so, to you being the first elected African-American mayor in Little Rock. At the same time, what has not gotten as much attention, and, uh, you know, I figured I did the math based on uh, some research by uh, one of our favorite Little Rock history nerd, Scott Carter. Uh, <laughs> you're also the youngest mayor in 54 years in Little Rock. So what do you think that bringing that youth into the office has? Obviously, there's been a lot of talk about the, the broader cultural perspective that you have, having grown up in Southwest and everything. But what do you think uh, being you know, on the younger end of, of the mayoral uh, spectrum will mean in the coming years? Well, uh, uh, to get first on, on your point about the historical perspective, as you know, while we, we definitely understand and appreciate uh, the historical perspective of being the first popular elected uh, African-American mayor, uh, black mayor uh, in uh, the city of Little Rock, uh, that's something that I never campaigned on. Right. I never campaigned on being the black mayor of Little Rock. I campaigned on being the mayor of Little Rock. But there is some great perspective of being the first popular elected black mayor of Little Rock. But I think it's good, as you shared, but I'm actually the first millennial uh, yeah. mayor of Little Rock. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and what that means is is bringing that fresh perspective, fresh uh, ideas and, and viewpoint to a city hall that has not experienced uh, the type of change that we are bringing uh, to city hall, and, uh, what I like to call positive disruption uh, as we move forward. And one of the big issues you, you hear about when you think of Little Rock and you think of millennials is essentially finding them the jobs and the culture that they're looking for to keep them here. Yes. Because you are, unfortunately, a bit of an anomaly that you grew up and, you know, and stayed here for your entire life. Some leave and come back, but some leave and then we never see them again. How how do you want to approach that to to convince more people, 
you know, in your in your age group that listen, this is this is where you want to invest your future. Well, uh, uh, one the reason why I ran was because I felt it was time for Little Rock to reach its true uh, to reach its true potential and to unite as one city. And uh, two things that prevent Little Rock's uh, population growth and Little Rock's job growth uh, is because uh, we have not forged ahead as it relates to a diversity in the marketplace and educational achievement. And so what happens is what's very real, as you know, and I know that people grow up here and then they'll hit a ceiling uh, in their career arena and then they'll decide to move. Uh, they'll move to Memphis. They'll move to Atlanta. They'll move to the Dallas-Fort Worth area. They'll move to Houston. Uh, they'll move to the East Coast uh, and never come back because they couldn't reach their full potential here. They couldn't thrive here. Uh, and that's a problem. Uh, because I get sick and tired of family members, friends, and loved ones, and it's on all spectrums, and it doesn't even matter what your education background is. Yeah. Uh, and, and so uh, it's my number one goal to, uh, to help create economic opportunities and also quality of life opportunities because we as a millennial generation, uh, we're more concerned about quality of place, and then we'll figure out everything else after that. And But I want to make certain that, that we can get a, a dirt, uh, not a dirt, but get a, a number of individuals to come back home, but yeah. they got to have something to come back home to. Right. And they got to have a good reason, mm-hmm. not just please, please, yes. please make yes. it back. Well, and let's talk about quality of life, uh, because, I mean, as you talked about earlier, being a, a ballet, dance and football player, you have a you have yeah. a deep appreciation for the arts. <laughs> I do. Uh, I do. Si- you know, since your since your younger years. And what do you what do you think we need to do on that end, both as a city and then, you know, as as a metro area, because we've got. You know, of course, great arts across the river, in North Little Rock as well, and in, in Conway and, and and other cities. What do you think we need to do both to, uh, you know, engender more uh, more arts opportunities here and to get the word out about what we got? As mayor, I have to uh, become the chief evangelist uh, for the arts, uh, chief evangelist for opportunities and growth here in our city. Uh, I think, uh, from an arts perspective, we have to. Uh, continue to figure out a long-term strategic plan uh, for the art center, a long-term strategic plan for the rep, as well as the symphony as we move forward to make certain that the arts community knows that that is a priority for the city of Little Rock. Uh, I think in that same vein, we have to create more opportunities for the arts. We have to create more opportunities for entertainment that involve the arts. Uh, And I think uh, it starts at the top, and that's what I plan to do. And of course, tied in with all that to arts education. I mean, you talk yes. about the Arts Center. Of course, that's a yes. big part of their mission uh, that they do and, and others and other outlets uh, do as well. So then uh, you talked earlier about the reputation that just seems to just be sticky and won't let go about Little Rock and safety and, and crime and law enforcement. I know that's something you've talked about a, a lot and, and in an area you are looking to shake things up in. Uh, you know, how do you how do you think you can bring more transparency and more more trust into b- between the, the people and and those who protect them? Well, first, we have to uh, create a culture of community policing. And so many times when people talk about community policing in Little Rock, people, the first thing they, they, they visualize are uh, COP officers. And that's not what I'm referring to. I think we need to have COP officers. Yeah, I think that's great. But I think we need to have more officers. Uh, right now, we have about 593 budgeted officers, and it's my goal to increase it to 700 over the next four years. I think we have to have uh, have a, a secure the community mentality uh, with a culture of community policing, a culture of cultural competency, 
the understanding of true de-escalation tactics and, and implicit biases uh, because we have to make certain that our uh, police officers are building relationships and trust with the community, but ultimately enforcing the law. Yeah. Uh, and uh, right now, Little Rock has a huge perception problem as it relates to our safety, one of which is both internal and external, where there are people in Arkansas who don't want to come to Little Rock because they feel unsafe. And there's a negative perception to the outside world that we're not safe as well. And what does that do? It reduces economic opportunity mm-hmm. uh, as as the next mayor is trying to grow uh, jobs and recruit jobs and maintain the existing jobs that we have right here in the city. And what we don't want to happen is that economic opportunity is then outsourced uh, to other communities. And so, and and so, when you're talking about community policing, I mean, I, I envision like kind of you know the old model of the beat cop, someone who knows who knows the neighborhood, who knows the people in it. Who who's a recognizable face? Who knows the names of a lot of neighbors? Oh, yeah. think, is that what you're exactly? Yeah, exactly. And and walking the streets, yeah, and, and building those relationships. But I think too, uh, it's kind of controversial, uh, is that we have to build trust with the community when the community believes that uh, there's a lack of trust. And so one of the things that I campaigned on. Uh, in addition to increasing the police officers, which is one with one call from a political perspective, tough on crime. Uh, but in that same vein, simultaneously, I've, I've been uh, a leader in advocating that we move to an independent citizen review board in the cases of police-involved shooting uh, and police br- brutality, uh, taking the hands out of the police policing themselves, uh, where you have this independent citizen review board, which has been quite controversial as well. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And—, and, and it- has seemed like in recent years that as that perception about safety has uh, continued to degrade some, that some of the reactions from the police department have been uh, less information instead of more information. I mean, the the police scanners were encrypted and, you know, you had uh, fewer, I mean, they do a great job with uh, the public information office as far as individual cases and when news is breaking and things, but uh, it, it seemed like there was less opportunity to learn, you know, directly from the source. Uh, is that something that, that you think can be course corrected or, or do you think that's just part of what community policing will engender? I think uh, community policing will engender is more transparency, but it's also one of the things where you have to keep your house in order, mm-hmm. uh, particularly when you are uh, part of an investigation uh, standpoint. Uh, but in a Scott administration, uh, we will be transparent as best as possible in every area of government, whether it's the police department, the fire department, or public works. And that starts with the leadership that we choose and who I plan to choose to be the next police chief. Mm-hmm. And yet you've got a lot of staffing decisions coming up and a <laughs> lot of applicants, as we saw in the paper uh, this, this, this very day. So what are some of the uh, the smaller things both – you know, that you think could actually make a difference? Because, of course, there's a lot of big picture stuff. Right. But what are some smaller things that you think can make a difference both for yourself and your administration, but also just for the general public in Little Rock, what well, people can do? Well, we first have to uh, become be a bit more efficient and effective with our services. Uh, when you're talking about uh, increasing a police force where you already have a tight budget, uh, we have to really go back and follow the money. Uh, and one of the things that I plan on doing that I think is really going to be a good uh, course of action and a good learning experience for City Hall and the City of Little Rock is enforcing a performance audit review of all our programs and services uh, to see if we're getting the uh, return on investment. 
uh, for the things that we're funding and then figure out if there's an opportunity to uh, right-size some of those things and align those things and figure out why do, uh, why do we do what we do. And an answer of that's what we've always done is not acceptable. Yeah. Uh, and so I really wanted to help through my team and I to truly transform City Hall to the 21st century. So we'll see some cut. We'll allow uh, this performance audit to let us know areas we need to right-size and, uh, and to change as we move forward. Uh, because at the end of the day, what we have to understand, you know, the, the politically there's a fanfare about being an elected official. But at the end of the day, the mayor's job is not political. The mayor's job is to make certain that uh, we pick up the, the uh, <laughs> that our cops pick up the robbers and, and those violent criminals and things in the nature, that we put out fires, that we pick up trash, and make certain that we are a great customer service organization for the people of Little Rock. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to run this shop uh, to the best of our ability to be best customer service agents for the city. And then uh, the other half of that question, what what can people do as just, you know, regular citizens? And I don't mean as far as like, you know, go out and volunteer a bunch or this or that. But what are just kind of small day to day things that you think people can do to kind of help, well, one, help that happen? One, I want to help. Uh, our whole mantra is to unite the city and you unite the city. Uh, many people focus on diversity, but you never experience true diversity until you have intentional interactions and building relationships and trust with one another. And so we have to create opportunities to build those relationships. So that's number one. But we also have to have a greater engagement. Uh, my candidacy and my administration is not about me. It's about the city of Little Rock. And I can't do anything by myself. We have to have a greater engagement in the city of Little Rock and in what's going on moving forward. But not only that greater engagement, we have to increase our confidence and our swagger uh, for our city to have a greater pride for it. And by having that greater confidence and pride, uh, I think it creates a lot of positive downstream ripple effects for the overall goals of our city. Uh, but even right now, uh, we're experiencing, due to uh, a runoff election of December 4th in the holiday season, we instituted a transitional board of directors that met for the first time on January this seventh, a couple days ago, <laughs> weird. Uh, but uh, part of that process, we're having a, a citizen-led subcommittee structure of eight uh, subcommittees that focus on our policy agendas that we want to accomplish and a playbook for the next four years, which includes finance and administration, our opportunity agenda that focuses on youth and education, um, our mobility agenda, our inclusion agenda, public safety agenda, jobs, and, and, and the like. And so we really are encouraging uh, constituents to uh, apply to be a part of these subcommittees because we want to hear everyone's voice at the table about how we change our city, how we increase the quality of life, how do we increase job growth uh, to create a better Little Rock. You threw out another BB term in there, uh, finding our swagger. The, the, <laughs> idea, the idea that you can have positive swagger, and it's not all ego and conceit. Oh, yeah. Just it's, uh, it's, it's true, uh, true confidence. Yes. Yeah. yeah. What do you hope, whenever your time ends as mayor, whether it's 4, 8, 12, 40 years, um, it won't be. <laughs> I know it won't be. <laughs> I just wanted to see your reaction. Uh, but but you know what what do you want to be the the thing that lasts? Do you think from your? I mean, obviously, as you learn in the governor's office, you don't always get to pick what the biggest issue you face is. Yeah, you're right because we all thought that uh, Governor BB would was going to be a jobs governor, which he was, and then he became a healthcare. He governor. became a healthcare governor. And so, uh, as you know, everyone knows I've campaigned on uh, unity. I've campaigned on reaching our true potential. As we talk about those who have left Little Rock because they did feel like that they could not uh, truly thrive here. And so I go back to 
Uh, those two things I think are challenges to Little Rock, and that's diversity in the marketplace and educational achievement. And so what I hope to do is to increase uh, job growth and opportunities for the existing uh, business owners and entrepreneurs and new entrepreneurs that we create a farm team right here in Little Rock, uh, as well as those companies that we bring here uh, to move forward. So uh, the perception is not a reality that you can't you can't grow here in Little Rock. I want that to be a lasting legacy that uh, we started the process that Little Rock became a better Little Rock. We, we truly understood our, our true identity uh, and that we created uh, a new segment of the New South. Mm-hmm. So before we go, you talked about wanting to get more citizens directly involved in these subcommittees. How how would you how do you do that? Please go to frankscottjr.com and those subcommittees are on our website. Okay. And and that will still be a working link, even if it becomes part of a city website at some point. I it'll be it'll well. Still... It'll be those subcommittees. We're going to close the application for that on this coming Monday. I, okay. I believe at the eight thirteenth, the thirteenth yeah. at eight a.m. or fourteenth uh, or yeah. eight p.m. I can't remember. So yeah. please do it Sunday. Yeah. If, <laughs> yeah, if we, you hear this, if we have this out in time, yeah. Uh, no pressure. Yeah. No pressure. But if but if but if uh, but if not, we have tons of boards and commissions yeah. that often go uh, vacant. Uh, right now, one of the things right now, we have a civil service commission, uh, which is very important when it deals with a uh, city employee is um, terminated or has some type of employee issue. Uh, we, we have two vacancies that have been hard to fill. and But we got 200,000 people in the city of Little Rock. I'm, right. uh, we should be able to fill those type of things, but we have to increase the engagement. And that's part of the reason why I, I'm uh, being very deliberate about uh, sharing what I'm doing uh, as your mayor through social media and, and, and uh, all different platforms, whether it's Instagram, Snapchat, LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter. I'm, I'm on everything. You send a smoke signal, I'll, I'll share it. <laughs> and But that's because we have to be more communicative uh, with our public uh, that is desiring and yearning for information and utilize the information to the best of their ability. Well, good deal. That's, uh, that's a good point to end on, I think. <laughs> our guest has been Mayor Frank Scott Jr. Thanks, man, for for taking it some time in a busy time to come hang out here. Well, thank you, brother. Uh, yeah, anytime, man. Uh, anything you want to talk about, we'll, <laughs> we'll do this again. We'll do it again. I'm, and, looking, uh, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, and you can go to cals.org slash podcast to hear other episodes of Primary Sources and our other ones as well. And uh, be engaged with City Hall. Let them know what you think. And, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see where, where things go and we'll... We'll touch base and uh, and, and do a, do an audit of you. Uh, Please maybe. do. Hold me accountable. <laughs> Hold me accountable. That's that's the plan. All right. Well, uh, thank you everyone for listening to this episode, and uh, have yourself a great day. Thank you. You've been listening to Primary Sources, a production of the Central Arkansas Library System. For more information, please visit cals.org and butlercenter.org. Join us next time to hear more from people making a difference in Little Rock and Arkansas.